But then other, you know, the people don't go for the carrot. Yeah. But we have this whole other litany. We have a whole closet full of sticks. We're like, no, it's just a carrot. And we put the carrot under a big light, you know, and when we come together on Sunday morning, we'll lift our hands and the carrots there on the light. And oh, carrot, carrot, we love you, carrot. Welcome everyone to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex Kent and Nathan, are seeking to recover from bad ideas about God and recover. From audio problems. And from audio problems. <laughs> now, we didn't have those. We didn't have that before. We're still but we have that, that for yeah. sure. And recover what's really great about the gospel, what's true about it. And today, uh, related to that theme of our podcast, we're taking a step away from our series. We're doing a standalone episode called What is a Christian? And we're trying to recover from bad ideas about right. what is a Christian, about yeah. what Christians are. And recover what is tr- what 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 would be a better definition of of a Christian? So, uh, because there's a lot of uh, cultural associations and negative associations of um, of, of Christians, and let's sort of, sort of strip those away and uh, and isolate what is uh, what is the best definition of a Christian. Yes, good idea. So, what comes to mind for you guys or? For you personally, I guess we'll start there. When you when you hear the word Christian, what do you think? You're like, you know, do you hear angels singing? Um, you know what? Well, you know what I notice about what comes to my mind is that I've been trained to think that the answer to that question is a Christian is someone who professes to be a Christian. It's someone who says they believe in Jesus, um, and uh, it's not so much a Christian is, it's not so much a description of how they're living mm-hmm. or how they live their life, right? rather it's, a, it's, it's what they profess. And then what comes to mind is, um, you know, the problems we have with that in a place like America where you have cultural Christianity because so very many people profess to be a Christian but are not mm-hmm. following Christ, right? So that set of issues is what comes to my mind. Yeah, I, and I, I kind of resonate with the whole thing. I, I think with, you know, this, this whole season of deconstruction and, you know, people's, uh, faith, especially in America, the evangelical church, there's been a lot of, a lot of that sentiment, you know, people calling themselves ex evangelicals or ex evangelicals or, you know, all, all these sorts of things, because I think people are grappling with this. And I, I've even had the conversations where, um, with with people that would not call themselves Christians, yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> asking me, so do you consider yourself a Christian? Or it, and then I found myself asking, well, what do you think that means? Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, Before I answer that, yeah, yeah, because there is there is, uh, I think, as we many of us have come to realize, there is a lot of uh, connotations that people have picked up through cultural baggage or you know bad experience or just the internet or whatever it is that, um, we realize that we don't all, we're not all working off of the same definition. And so yeah. I've definitely been caught in those conversations of like, I, I have a framework for what I believe it is and I'll call myself a Christian, but if you think that's something else, then I'm not going to use that term with you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think for me, uh, you know, I, I've gone through all that wrestling of, you know, uh, what, what does it mean to actually be a Christian? Am I going to call myself a Christian? I, I think I have leaned more towards calling myself a follower of, uh, Jesus, mm-hmm. which sometimes is not helpful either because that yeah. can sound really vague and non, non-committal, yeah. but, um, but that brings to mind other things. I think yeah. Yeah. if you, if you tell me, well, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I see you as kind of granola, you know, you're, yeah, right. You're probably progressive in some ways, you know, you, you kind of subscribe to this more of a social gospel kind of, I mean, those are just kind of my perceptions when someone says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. And then it, then it, it kind of, it almost sounds pretentious yeah, in a way. Kind of vague. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think to a certain extent, um, you know, I, I've heard it said that Christian, which was kind of the term that was originally used by the Romans to refer mm-hmm. to them back in the first century was somewhat derogatory. It was kind of saying, oh, they're like little, little Christs, you know, like little right. Jesuses. And, uh, but there is something appealing to that. And I, 
maybe I understand why it sticks because uh, I I think there's a sense that we are trying to become like Christ, and so I I I like that. Yeah, I can work with that, but that's not what most people right most people are thinking. Yeah, I mean today, and I can't cite numbers, but I've just seen survey after survey, poll after poll, study after study is showing that um, the term evangelical has really been co-opted by the right wing of the Republican Party. So yeah. that now it really actually had the, the meaning of the word as it's used in our culture has now changed to refer to the right wing of the Republican Party, which to me is just a terrible scandal. I used to just love that word, but I realize now that I can't use it anymore because it no longer has the meaning that I want it to mean that it used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm afraid that maybe that's happened with the word Christian as well. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, Kent, that um, what comes to your mind is that someone who professes to be a Christian is a Christian, which there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians that we would say are not Christians, <laughs> you know, and, and we'll get to that. But it it, it lends, not only is there, I, I think, a negative connotation to the word Christian, um, so much so that um, there was a, a young woman that I was working with and she's very passionate and um, has a, a sense of, of values, I guess, that she's very committed to. Um, I don't know if she knows where they come from um, or what they're based on, but she's very committed to them. And and her idea, you know, what she sees uh, in people who profess to be Christians are very counter. Those behaviors are very counter to her set of values. So if you're always taught Christians are the good people and then you're taught and good people, you know, and then you come under this mentality that good people are ones who affirm people in their choices and they're not bigoted and all that. But you see Christians who are pretty much devoting all of their energies to giving a very narrow definition of what it means to say, be a family and stuff. So she's very much um, pro-gay, gay rights and stuff like that. She sees, and, and I'm sympathetic to this mentality, but she would say, well, she sees gays or, or, you know, gay transgender and stuff that they're people akin to African-Americans in the civil rights movement. And a lot of people see it the same way. And, and, and it's a complex issue. I don't really want to delve into it, but all that to say that she has so associated the word Christian with, um, a, a very intentional program to marginalize gay people. Uh, to shame them and to push them into the shadows so that she doesn't even want to be associated with that term. Right. So um, there's there's that. Uh, recently, I was at, um, my mom had some surgery and my aunt was there in the hospital room and she and I were talking as my mom was kind of in this drug-induced stupor, you know, and, and uh, my aunt was saying, you know, I just can't, turn off my intellectual self. My intellectual self and my spiritual self are all part of the same person. And so I can't be a Christian because that requires me to, to kill my intellectual self. And I was just like, no, <laughs> which, which got me that yeah, the word Christian is loaded in that, um, people think that they have to buy into some, something that I think most of us would say was not good. Um, and and so a lot of people have decided they just can't call themselves Christians because that would mean that they would have to be bigoted or they would have to be intellectually regressive and that, that that's part and parcel. Um, on the other side, I think that the word Christian, so we might say that in that way, the word Christian is too narrow. Uh, that if you say, well, you have to believe in a young earth or you're not a Christian, and there are Christians who say that, and it's not, this isn't something people are saying from outside, but... There are Christians who say that. I, I met another guy who he had a pastor who was like, if you don't agree with me on my interpretations of the Bible, you're not a Christian. <laughs> you know, that's just obviously way too narrow. I mean, this guy became a non-Christian. I mean, the, the pastor invited him. It, it was like the antithesis of discipleship. This pastor was such a, uh, maybe on such a power trip that he invited the guy to leave the faith and the guy took him up on it. Um, and that's just, I, I, I don't want to be there when that guy has to explain to Jesus what, what happened. Um, so there's a, there's a very narrow definition of Christianity that comes both from inside and from outside. Uh, and, and that's a problem in that I think it excludes a lot of people. So take, for instance, uh, my friend who is pro-gay and, and, and um, 
a lot of people who are who are on that you know on that side of of the debate they really hunger and thirst for justice mm-hmm. they're on that side because they hunger and thirst for justice they're not doing it because they are a sexual deviant and they just want the freedom to do what they want to do mm-hmm. um they are people who who are sympathetic with somebody who's suffered um and and i uh, in a lot of cases, I, I like again, it's a complex thing. I I can't decide to be gay, you know, and and which means that it's not entirely a decision or choice. So there are people who discover that they're attracted to someone of the same sex. Now that's got to be psychologically, emotionally, spiritually agonizing. It seems that we should have a lot of compassion for that person, and and certainly that person has suffered just psychologically before. They really ever have the opportunity to suffer socially, interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so if you are compassionate, you surely would have compassion for that person. And then you see that there's a group of people who are contributing to that person's suffering. Now, who's, who's Jesus siding with here? <laughs> you know, is he, is he in favor of those who are contributing to somebody's suffering who's already suffering? Or is he on the side of those who are trying to alleviate the suffering of people? Um, well, that's that. It seems like a no-brainer, but it, again, it's very complicated in our world. Um, but all that to say is, is, if we say, "Well, if you're a Christian, you have to you have to participate in this kind of pro-family agenda," I guess you'd call it. And when there's not a lot, of, yeah, people aren't aren't ready to buy into that, right? Work. Right. Yeah. And, and um, should they have to? Is it you know? Are are is this bundled to the point that you just have to do that? Uh, so there's this narrow view of Christianity that I think excludes people that Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling people with a heart for justice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's not excluding people with a heart for justice. Um, and and so what are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right, right. I, I think the Beatitudes are very much this um, this kind of um, what it, it, it's the qualifications for the kingdom, if you will. Right. Uh, and so if he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, they'll be filled. He, he's saying people like that, they belong with here with me. They belong here. And yet the way Christianity has been depicted and is seen, it, it excludes a lot of people who fit squarely into the Beatitudes. So that seems somehow, somehow our definition of Christianity is often that way. The other way, the other problem is it's too broad. So if we say, well, Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose again. Um, the problem with that, I think, is sometimes we get, um, man, we get some messed up folks that, that you know, say they're Christians and... Um, That's the problem with nominalism. Right. Their life isn't benefiting from the power of the gospel. And um, they, not only that, but um, they, the image of Christ, uh, the view of Christ in the, in the mind of other people becomes tarnished and sullied because this person is indistinguishable, say, or maybe even worse than somebody else. You know, if you say, well, my value system is rooted in Christ and Christ says I can do whatever I want and still go to heaven. <laughs> and, and so you really, you really kind of get some, you know, bigoted jerks who uh, have very little resemblance to Christ. Um, and in, they're on, on Saturday night, they're partying with all their friends. Um, and if their friends bring up the topic of abortion, they'll, they'll dress them down right through their drunken slur, you know? And it's just like, you know, you're, you're just so full of crap that nobody can hear you. And, and so why, why even mess with it? And so Christianity, the idea of becoming a Christian becomes very unappealing to somebody, or, or the, the, at least there's no difference. Back in the 90s, we called that the problem of easy believism. Yeah. There was that lordship salvation debate, mm-hmm. and which I think is still framing my way of thinking about this issue. And that's what you're describing there. We have this, it's uh, anybody can be, anybody can be a Christian so long as they say they believe in Jesus. But that could just be a cultural artifact, just an idea they inherited from their parents and their culture, not an actual statement of how they're living their life. Right. By faith in Jesus. There's mm-hmm. a big difference between saying you believe in Jesus and actually living by faith in Jesus. Right. And 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 it, it really kind of comes out of even a tribalism. You know, you grew up going to this church, your family's like that. You begin to identify 
with a, a position politically, existentially, and if anybody questions it, you become very um, angry and animated. And, and, and really, I think what, what Christianity does oftentimes in America is it, it just endorses uh, uh, bigot, bigotry. Um, and so that's a, that's a concern, <laughs> obviously, um, and it, it doesn't look much like Jesus. So what is a Christian, Nathan? I mean, right. isn't, aren't you a Christian if you believe in Jesus? What is a Christian? Well, what, 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 Je what Jesus do you believe in? <laughs> you know, uh, and nowadays the, the Mormons uh, are trying to ditch their uh, distinction from regular Christianity. They, you know, they will, they will say that they're, they don't want to be called Mormons anymore. Um, and they don't want to be called the LDS or any of that. They want to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a lot to say, and I don't think that's fair for the rest of us. Um, but also they, um, they don't, they're, they really want to be known as Christians. If you, if you have a conversation with a Mormon out on, on say Facebook, a Facebook discussion group or something, um, what you'll discover is that they, they don't make a distinction between Mormons and Christians. They say we're you know, they, they make a distinction between Mormons and evangelicals. They'll say we're Christians of a different stripe. They, they're kind of almost saying we're, we're another Christian denomination. Um, and, and so, uh, which is, is terribly dishonest for them. I, you know, I, I don't think it's fair for the Mormons. And I don't think it's fair for any of us um, that have to deal with them because it, it, the, their Jesus is the twin brother of Satan. Um, and so that just not the same Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, that, that I, that I worship. And, and so it's not, that's not fair. Okay. So there's the distinction of what's the Jesus you say you believe in. There's that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the problem of what does it mean to believe in Jesus? If you right. say you believe in Jesus, what is that? Right. Is that how we frame this? Yeah. Well, I or, mean, are you yeah. saying something? Cause I, I want to just clarify the question. What is a Christian? Mm -hmm. can lead to a discussion about what makes a person a Christian mm -hmm. or it can lead to a discussion about how you describe the life of a Christian. Right. Well, Those are two different discussions. What, what makes yeah. a person a Christian or what does a Christian look like if you were an observer of their life? Sure. Yeah. Which is, what, what did you mean? I mean that those are the same, okay. um, and and that the the idea that there that there is a distinction between them, I think, comes from a, a, an impoverished concept of Christianity, and and so and I think we've mentioned this before, and this is a recent reading on Luther for me, and I don't I'm not an expert on Luther or the Reformation, but Luther in in one of his works is he's looking back on his ministry and stuff, uh, you know, he, he's saying, look, that, that the righteousness of God is that which the righteousness that God gives. So it's in what we would call imputed righteousness if you're a theology geek or whatever, but that God considers you righteous in spite of your behavior on the basis of belief in a message. Right. If you believe that God will forgive you on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice, you are forgiven. Would we say that's correct? That's good. Rest, you know, a Reformation mm -hmm. theology, right? That, that right, the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account once you believe that Jesus' death was for the sake of your sins and you're now absolved. Right. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. So now you're righteous, even though you're terrible. Mm -hmm. Nothing's really changing your life. You've just chosen to believe this proposition. And, right. and we have to maintain that as a, as a cornerstone belief in Protestantism because uh, once you begin to allow anything else to be a qualifier, then you're going back to works, you're going back to the law. And, and so then that becomes kind of the essence of heresy from a Protestant standpoint. Mm -hmm. And okay. then we end, up, we end up with easy believism. So sure. That all you have to do is believe. And then you're counted righteous, right? And it doesn't matter how you live the rest of your life, right? And and okay. we find ways around that, mm -hmm. don't we? I mean, we say, well, you won't want to. Well, what if you do? <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, there's all these kind of, um, you know, there there are these kind of intellectual, not even really intellectual, because they're not very 
intellectual, <laughs> not very well reasoned. But there's these arguments like, well, you, you shouldn't or, or you'll want to please him or uh, and, and it just doesn't necessarily work out in real life. I mean, sometimes it does. And, and I'm thankful for this, the Holy Spirit and for conversion and, and for the things that happen. But sometimes people pray the prayer if that's what you do or, or they decide that they believe or they want to profess that they're a Christian and their life really doesn't change much. Um, maybe it didn't need to change much. Maybe they were pretty moral in the first place. Um, but at any rate, that there's not some sort of effect that that has and, and nor, nor should it according to a lot of, of, of our uh, theology in that we, we're not allowed to see somebody who, say, has lived this very Christ-like life as any better before God than somebody who is just terrible and, you know, has done all kinds of terrible things. So, you know, let's say Jeffrey Dahmer, the day he professes faith in Christ is every bit as righteous before God as Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's the way we see righteousness from a Protestant standpoint. And that kind of pushes against our sensibilities, which doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that it's, it's a difficult sell. Okay. But it also is very difficult to motivate, say, you know, a, a couple of 16 year olds not to sleep together. Uh, if we tell them, well, you prayed that prayer back when you were 12 and your tickets punched, you know, so it's not ideal, you know, and we come up with some moral teaching, like, you know, God's going to bless you here if you remain pure you know, or that you're going to be happier or, and, and, and we make these promises that really God didn't make and, and they fall flat and become hollow, but we're not allowed to say your salvation is a risk here, kids. <laughs> you know, we're not, allowed, not allowed to say that. And, and so they're, they're because by, once saved, always saved. Right. Right. To our theology. Right. Because we're not allowed to say that to them, then, um, then Christianity becomes not defined by a set of behaviors at all. It can't be. Theologically, that's precluded. And, and at the same time, we do have this sense of, of Christian behavior that now it's the church's job to somehow coerce or entice people to, to at least meet a basic morality. Um, and, and then that becomes a definition of Christians, Christianity on a, on a public face. So, you know, we can't challenge people to live this very committed life, but we can try to entice them and bump them and encourage them. You know, we, we can share stories about how other people have lived very committed lives or, you know, and, and we can get people involved in, in kind of a bandwagoning kind of an approach to let's get involved in this cause and let's do this thing. And, and all that's well and good, but is that flowing directly from the gospel? And if not, then we begin to portray Jesus in terms of this group dynamic, which then becomes religious right, evangelicalism, it becomes this have a happy family mentality that is not necessarily, you know, the gospel either. Because we see that there are two kinds of righteousness. There's the one that God gives, and there's the one that we manufacture, and that they mustn't ever touch. Mm -hmm. That the one we manufacture can have no influence on the one that God gives. The one that God gives ought to have an influence on the one that we manufacture, it ought to inspire that one. But if it doesn't, we have no recourse. We can't say, you know, well, then you've forfeited your salvation. You've renounced Christ and your behavior or something. We can't say that. So all we have are a really broad definition. Did you agree to this statement? And a very narrow definition. Do you go along with your church's teachings on how you should behave? Okay. Yeah. And so have this dichotomy. Right. And so these two tracks have, have left us with a very messed up notion of what it means to be a Christian, that it is both too broad in that we say Christians are someone who agrees to this statement, Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And and then we say um, a Christian is also, you know, looks like somebody who is a white social Republican or something. Yeah. Whatever you call it. Uh, yeah. is somebody who's, you know, they're, yeah, they're politically conservative and they're, they stay married and they raise, um, you know, happy, healthy, adjusted kids who remain pure until they're married. And they, you know, and, and, and we have this whole prefabricated concept that has to be there because we can't just tell people, well, you're saved now go, you know, go and live and be free because we know that they aren't going to do the right thing, you know, for all what we say about, oh, you'll, you'll live different. Well, we don't mean that because they really won't and they don't. So, you know, what are we left with? Um, 
and and that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. What is a Christian? What is what is a Christian? Right. Um, and I, I think the problem is in our definition of faith. You know, and and it's been said that the, you know faith alone saves, and the faith that saves is never alone. And that's yeah. true, but we don't know. I think Luther said that. That was Calvin, I think. Maybe one maybe of those Luther. guys said yeah. that, and and that was their way of resolving this tension. Right. It's, the, it's faith alone that saves, but the faith that saves is never alone, but is always accompanied by works. I think that's the complete thought. So works come out of it. Right. Right. Uh, and and more recently, say someone like Keller, who who would be very influential, and would say something. You know, he would say similar things. He he would say that this. The idea of grace, it, it enables and it inspires righteous living, right? And, and that's true, but I'm sorry, it, it has to have a backhand. <laughs> you, 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 know, you have to have the stick too. And, and I, you mean, I just, this world, the way you get people in line, you have to have the stick and not just there has to be a stick. Yeah. And I know that sounds weird and heretical and all of that, but, but let me try to be, I, I think the new Testament, you're not advocating this out. stick, but you're saying the way it works in this world, the way we actually run our ministries and conduct our Christian. Lives. No, I'm, yeah, I'm advocating for the right stick. So we have a stick, we have a stick, we make our sticks. It's just that our sticks aren't connected to the carrot. You know, it's like, you have to have the carrot out there on the stick, but then now that, you know, the people don't go for the carrot. Yeah. But we have this whole other litany. We have a whole closet full of sticks. We're like, no, it's just a carrot. And we put the carrot under a big light, you know, and, and we come together on Sunday morning, we'll lift our hands and the carrots there on the light. And oh, carrot, carrot. We love you, carrot. Uh, you know, grace, love of God. <laughs> right. Thank you. Like thank you, carrot. And, 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 but back in the closet, we've got these sticks, you know, we just don't, we don't bring them out on the stage. Precious to conform. Right. But, but, you know, it's hey, we, we discover discipline. that you're, you're not meeting uh, our sense of morality or whatever. You, you signed the church covenant. There's a stick. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and you didn't, you didn't keep up with it, with what you said you were going to do. There's a stick. Okay. We're, we're going to ostracize you. We'll vilify you. We will shame you or exclude you in some way. We're going to find ways to punish you for, but they're not going to be your salvation's in danger. We're just going to be like, we don't like you now, you know, or we're not going to ask you to do things or, you know, we're going to somehow marginalize you or stigmatize you in a way that will incentivize you to get in line. None of that really is in the New Testament, but we do it because we have to. And at least right. too, like all the discussions today about toxic church culture, like you can, if you've listened to the Mars Hill Church podcast, that's like an expose on toxic church culture and how we use the social conformity, the pressure to conform to get people right. in line. Okay. And that's right. not unique to the church or Christianity. That, no. no. That's the way the world works. Right. That's the way the world works. Which gets back to this notion of faith. Yeah. You know, if we're using the devices that the world uses, then we, you know, we aren't resorting to faith, we're resorting to works in how we get business done. Right. So Jesus loves you, but everybody else thinks you're a, you know, a butthole or whatever. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, that's how we treat people. Um, but the faith that saves is never alone is, is a, is a nice thing to say, but what does it mean? What is the faith that saves? And Paul talks in Galatians about faith is something that came with Jesus. Uh, you know, how, how do you define faith? We, we tend to define faith as believing what you know can't be so, <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, accepting is true, something that you don't have empirical evidence for. That's nominal Christian. Well, okay. I, I, I thought you were saying that's nominal Christianity. It is. Yeah. Believing what you know can't be so like, you don't really believe it, but you say you believe it. Well, even, is that what you mean? well, it, it's a tongue in cheek. I mean, even people who really believe it can't. Even people who really believe it can't prove it, okay. right? We're not, we're not going to go up and say, well, you know, we don't know that Jesus raised, rose from the dead in the same way that I know that you're sitting across uh -huh. from me now, right? right? Let's just be right. frank yeah, we about don't, that. We don't have right? empirical evidence for that. Right. right. And, you know, the Hebrews definition of faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. So, you know, we have, there's some basis for that. But Paul seems to suggest that faith is something that came with Jesus. Like it wasn't here until Jesus got here, that there were all of these Jews who were um, keeping the law and they were sacrificing their animals and they were making three trips all the way to Jerusalem, you know, each year and they didn't have faith. Right. Because Paul somewhere in Galatians says, now before faith came, 
Right. I remember that phrase. Right. And, and so in Galatians 3 uh, toward the end and also in Galatians 4, he talks about the law was a guardian until faith came. Okay. And now the faith has come. We're no longer under a guardian, but we are now under faith. And that the law and faith uh, are these alternative approaches. And he says the law is not a faith is evident in that it says the one that uh, does these things will live. And so for, for Paul, faith is, is something that is beyond just accepting propositions that are unprovable. For us, we see faith as accepting propositions that are unprovable. But, but when we make that the, the requirement, then we are, like my, my aunt says, I, you know, she says, I can't just kill my, my brain in order to believe. And, but yet we're kind of requiring that from people, especially in a modern world. And we're saying something happened 2,000 years ago that's never happened since, and you can't see it, and, and now believe it. Wow, that seems like a tall order. And then to say, well, if you don't, you're going to you know, suffer forever. <laughs> Again, that seems like a real tall order. That's just a big requirement you know, uh, from people. So it doesn't, doesn't seem fair. Anyway, um, this faith came with Jesus. There's something unique about the faith that comes. And so Paul, when Paul says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, which we made a big deal of last time, um, he doesn't stop there. Okay, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God of salvation for the Jew and also for the Greek, uh, to everyone that believes, the Jew and also to the Greek. Okay, so there's this requirement to believe. But then in, in Romans 17, and that's, this is where Luther both received a wonderful insight and got off track. Uh, so, man, that sounds pretentious. I'm sorry, everybody. I, I don't want to really critique Luther, but I am. Okay, so anyway, he says, he says, um, he says, uh, for the righteous, you know, the, the um, he says, therein, therein in the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God. And, and Luther, when he read that, uh, and he was taught by the Catholics, that, that that means that the gospel tells us that God is righteous in sending people to hell. That when he read that, that he heard that the gospel is the message of how God will, will judge everyone and, and send sinners to hell. That God is righteous and will not tolerate unrighteousness and therefore will punish sin. So therein is revealed the righteousness of God. That's what he had believed. That's what he had believed. But, but he discovered as he read farther where it says, uh, where he quotes um, Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk 2, where he says, but the, but the righteous will live by his faith or will live by faith. And he realized that this isn't the righteousness, God's personal righteousness. This is the righteousness that God gives. So if you say the righteousness of God could mean God's own personal righteousness, but it could also mean the righteousness from God. And that, that was the big insight for him, for Luther. And now here we are 500 and something years later talking about that, it. Yeah. So by faith in Jesus, you will receive from God right. righteousness that will shield you from the judgment. Right. Right. Uh, and so from that point on, a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. And not that that's false, but the faith that came, I think, is of a different variety. So just be, that's just believing something that you don't have immediate evidence for. Well, that's the same as what the Jews had, is what the same as the Muslims or the Hindus or anybody has, right? If you're a religious person, you believe in some things that you can't prove, right? Right. So that, that faith has been here from the beginning, okay? From the first time Og stepped out of the cave and, and you know, bowed down and worshiped the moon, that faith has been here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul well, says a new faith arrived. came. A new faith came. And that that faith is something that is the hallmark of every believer, that, that that faith is the Christian um, distinctive, right? Now, here's what I suggest, that that faith is, as he says again and again in Scripture, that that is the faith of Christ. It's Christ's own faith. It is the faith of the Son. It's the kind of faith that says, though he slay me, yet will I praise him, like Job had, right? Job Somewhat had that faith. He, he faltered some. But anyway, uh, the Hebrew children had that faith. Uh, Abraham had that faith. But that faith is now in Christ. It is packaged in a message, in a story, and it is transferable to anyone who believes that story. Someone who believes that, that God sent his son to die for them, they must now believe that they are loved as a, as a child. Right? If you, if you believe that God sent his one and only son to die for you personally, to, to absolve you of the things that you've done, that unconditionally, no matter how bad you've been, that God loved you before Jesus died and, and that Jesus died because of God's love for you, 
you must now accept your adoption as a son, not, not just in formality, but in truth. You must accept it if you believe that story. Now, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, okay, that, that even death is conquered, that, that you can entrust your destiny to your father as Jesus did. So you have this implicit faith and love that is now transferred to you because you believe that message. And it is by that faith we ought to live. And here's what Luther missed. Romans 1.17 doesn't say, therein is revealed the righteousness of God as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's what Luther got from Romans 1.17. But if you read Romans 1.17, and I invite you to do that, especially in an older translation, because that middle part of Romans 1.17 is difficult for us to understand from a Protestant mindset. Okay, here's what it says. For therein is the revealed a righteousness of God from faith, literally out of faith, to faith, literally into faith, out of faith, into faith. So if you're reading along, it'll say from faith for faith, or it'll say from faith to faith, depending on the translation. NIV yeah. says by faith from first to last, which by is a great from first to last, which is a great Protestant interpretation of that Greek. It just isn't bared out by the Greek. It's not word for word. It's it also does isn't fair to what Paul's trying to say. <laughs> yeah. It's totally different. Trying to slow you down because people don't know that verse and they don't know what you're talking about when you start quoting the, yeah. that, that little sub, sub, sub. Right. So there's this part where Paul says from faith to faith or from faith mm -hmm. uh, to what are the other translations? Uh, man, I don't know what they all are. Faith so for faith, right. Every, faith, everything faith. through 1995, uh, from faith to faith. Okay. okay. After 1995 and a lot more functionally equivalent, excuse me. <laughs> translations are coming in, then they, they begin to take more and more license. So, um, well, we could probably bring it up, but, but the ESV says something like, uh, I don't know, from faith, uh, well, I'll just bring it up. Um, anyway, the, the NIV, yeah, I, I think is the, is the greater offender in that they just totally just decided, Hey, we don't know what this means. Let's, let's just say something that the, that is very Protestant sounding and move on, you know? So the, the NIV says from faith by faith from first to last. And, and so again, that affirms this notion that you can't presume that there's any sort of behavior implied in what it means to be a Christian. From the beginning to the end, it's just, if you believe this message, then you're a Christian and everything else you do that doesn't contribute, right? It's just, that's, that's just you showing your gratitude or receiving the blessings or however, whatever motivations we have. Okay. Uh, the, the ESV, which is, is more of a word for word translation and attempt at it. Um, it, as uh, he says for there and is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So somewhat, somewhat like it, uh, it, it's a little bit harder to understand or to grasp. Um, but the, the American standard translation has from uh, from faith to faith, which just doesn't make a lot of sense to us, which is why we struggle. Well, it's a throwaway verse for your average modern reader. I mean, you don't know what it means. You just move on to something to you, you can understand. Right. And you're saying, don't throw that away. That's super important. Right, man. That's the stuff in the Oreo, right? <laughs> you know, so Luther had a nice chocolate wafer and then he had another nice chocolate wafer, but those chocolate wafers just don't make a cookie, man. You got to have the stuff and the stuff, the stuff that holds the cookie together, the stuff that holds the righteousness that God gives to the behavior of the Christian is this notion that through belief in that story, we receive son-like faith, that we can trust in God, our Abba, and we can live by that trust. And that's what a Christian is. That's what it's a Christian is. A person who is living by that trust in their heavenly father. Yes. As, as not just a father, like he loves me, but a father who is able to conquer death. Uh, and so we, when we behave out of fear, we are sinning. We are acting out of faith. We are acting without faith. If, 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 if fear or anxiety dictates an action in us, we have violated our covenant with God. Paul spoke of Peter as standing condemned. I mean, you can't get much more serious than that. So there, there is a sense that you can break this covenant. You can step out of it, but it's not some sort of a thing with a litany of transgressions because there's no prescribed behaviors. There's just simply a flow, a path. If you get off the path, get back on the path. You know? But if you're off the path, you're off the path. And if you stay off the path, you're going to be judged in the end. You're not a Christian. Okay? 
So it, it really isn't about umbrella salvation and losing your faith. It's just simply, Father, I, I mistrusted you there, and I'm back. Also, it doesn't give you a pass. So let's say uh, you're at work and you've done, you've created some major foible and, you, and you've, you've cost the company money and, and you've covered your tracks and you hope nobody notices, <laughs> right? Well, you've already violated faith because you did something that was based on fear. Okay, you sinned. Now, if you decide, no, I want to live by faith, well, you don't get to just move on and promise not to do that next time because that is still living there as an unfaith behavior. Every day you retain that, that thing you covered up is another moment of unfaith. You have to go back and say, hey, that thing that happened, that was me. <laughs> the, only, the only behavior of faith is to go back and say that thing that happened, that was me. So you don't have to hate gays. You don't have to believe in a young earth. You have to act in a way that is filled with integrity, that is guided by faith. That is a Christian. So what, what you're describing as, you, as you're talking about this is a very relational understanding of what faith is mm -hmm. so think of what you said romans 117 that from faith to faith there's a it's almost like a word picture of like a pouring out yes like a pouring out god is yeah. pouring out jesus's own faith yes into us like you know Amen. from like yeah. a you know like a mug or a big jug or something into yeah. the cup. and so we we receive this faith that is from christ living mm -hmm. in us um, but it's not, it's not like a one and done deal, right? That there, there always has to be this, uh, continual flowing and because mm -hmm. it's a relational, you know, relational flow, just like any relationship. Um, if we don't maintain that, that connection and that, that flow that we have with Christ by, um, by relating to him in the, in the way that you're describing on a continual basis, mm -hmm. then we're essentially cutting off that flow. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not trying to uh, say that somehow that makes us unsaved or something, but it, it's the same as any relationship. I think if I have a friend or with my spouse, um, if I don't spend time with her, if I lie to her, you know, if I, if I say something cruel, <laughs> That affects the relationship that we have and, and to just sweep it under the rug and say, well, I, I still believe we're married mm -hmm. you know, or I still believe you're my friend. That, that doesn't um, that doesn't restore the connection that a natural relationship needs in order to be genuine. And so that um, I, I think that's really helpful for people because that makes sense. We can see that in how we relate with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone's being a jerk to me. You know, we've got a problem with the relational flow. And I think the same, same as with our faith in our father, like you're describing right. this kind of sonship type of faith that we have from Jesus. If we think all we need is to have this mental ascent to say, okay, well, I believe I'm a son, but I don't really need to have a relationship with you or honor that relationship or keep that connection flowing, then we're missing the point. It's right. not really a relationship. It's not, it's not. Yeah. We used to talk about the, like the five steps or the five things you had to do in, in my legalistic past, you know, you had to hear, you had to repent, you had to believe, you had to confess, you had to be baptized. And so there were the five steps, um, but it's not steps, man. It's a walk. <laughs> faith, faith isn't a step. It's not a, a checklist or something on a punch list. It is a, uh, a way of life and those who live by faith are Christians and those who live by fear or anxiety or they give into legalism. You talk about this cutting of this flow. I mean, that's very specifically what Paul says. He says, again, I testify that every man who receives the um, circumcision, he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that there's a backhand there. There's a stick, but it's connected to the carrot. So let us go and let us worship. But remember, there's a stick hanging from that carrot, you know, uh, and it doesn't. But that stick isn't. It's just implicit. It's not something that God has to administer. You know, that, that is just it's just a matter of course, it's not a, a legislated law. It's a it's a spiritual law like gravity, you know, in, in the real world. You know, once once you understand gravity, now you can go out and drive a car. 
you know, once you get once you get the notion of inertia, you know, nobody has to give you that word. You just understand that objects in motion tend to remain in motion. Objects at rest tend to remain at rest. Nobody has to tell you that. Right. Once you understand that now, if you're three years old and you, your ball goes bouncing out into the street, you don't understand that mom has to tell you don't play in the road. You don't understand inertia. All you know is mom said don't play in the road. Right. And so that's the Old Testament era. Right. Don't wear two kinds of fabric. Don't cut your beard. You know, all that's nonsensical. All of that's arbitrary. But it's there as as guardrails for people who don't understand the spiritual truth. And by truth, I mean reality, the way of things. But by faith, now we understand. So that which is of faith is righteous. That which is not of faith, according to Paul in Romans 14, 23, that which is not of faith is sin. So we're in a covenant of faith. There's no, and if we resort to laws, we violate that covenant. The law is not of faith. And so Paul says, hey, if you resort to the law, you're severed from Christ. You know, here's the irony. We used to say, you can fall from grace back when in my legalistic, you know, we, you have to keep all these rules or you'll fall from grace. And we say, well, you can fall from grace. And we would, we would quote Romans 5, 4. He would say, you know, you've been severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace. <laughs> the very irony is, is that we were, you know, we were people who were very far from grace. We were way, way, way below grace. And we're yelling up, you can fall from grace. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, we're down there impaled on the spike of the law. You know, you can fall from grace. You know, it's just like the <laughs> whole point of it is if you don't trust God with your immediate circumstances, as well as your ultimate destiny, if you don't trust him, you've violated the covenant. You've fallen from grace. You've chosen a different path. A Christian is one who trusts God. So, hey, the rest of it, you know, we can disagree. We can love each other. I can trust you with him. And you can trust me with him. But if you watch me acting in a way that is hypocritical or that is bending to fear or anxiety in some way, you need to take me aside. You need to say, you're in danger, man. You're, you're headed for the rocks. This isn't something to screw around with. Live by faith. That's the covenant. Hmm. Alex, while you were talking, I thought of, uh, you were talking about the relational aspect and, I, and, and how God transfers the faith of his son to us. And I thought this correlates with Paul's uh, description of how God has poured out the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so it's they, they, go to, <laughs> yeah. they go together. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And somewhere he says, in more than one place, I think, he says he has poured the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Mm -hmm. So the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son, which correlates with Nathan's idea of the transferal of the faith of the Son. Right. So if the Son lives in us by his Spirit, maybe the main thing about that is that the faith of the son is mm -hmm. in us. Right. And and it's very it's very important to understand that those that the faith of the son must live in us, I think first, or at least um consonantly, because it and I was talking about this show under the banner of heaven, and the Mormons in that show are always talking about what the Holy Spirit's telling them. But the Holy Spirit's telling them stuff like go and and slaughter women and children. <laughs> right. So we better have the faith of the Son. We better have this, this love from God that that comes and and all of that. We we better have the North Star, and so that's why Jesus says, you know, come to me and you'll receive fountains of living water flowing up from within you. This he said of the Spirit who would be given, because the Spirit who had, had not yet been given, because Christ had not yet been glorified. Why? Because we cannot be trusted with this notion that there's a Spirit who's leading us. Mm. until we have the faith of the Son, until mm. we have this, this North Star that is the gospel that, that informs our faith. And now we understand, now we see, we can ascertain the voice of the Spirit and not just be opening ourselves up to every voice out there that mm -hmm. may somehow strike our minds. Right, which led by the Spirit could mean so many different things. Right. But you're saying led by the Spirit is being led by um, the gospel. Right. And... Uh, the faith of the Son, and these words, these phrases you use, cruciform, love, love resurrection, faith. Yeah. That's kind of your summary. Right. Cruciform, love, resurrection, faith. Right. That's the key ideas of this life of faith. Mm -hmm. Right. Modeled right. after the life of the Son. 
Exactly. Exactly. So it's those who are called, those who hear that story and, and it just resonates with them and explodes in their heart. They believe it. Their life's going to change. That's just how it is. But we can't prescribe the way that it'll change in, in all of its specifics and its nuance. We just know that it's going to be loving and it's going to be rooted in faith. And if at some point it's not, we know that that person has begun to deviate and we need to as loving Christians say, I'm encouraging you to get back in the path of freedom. Right now, you're, you're relinquishing your freedom to whatever threats or enticements are around you. And I'm asking you, go back, stand in the freedom that he's bought for you. And so even our accountability to one another is, is free of control. We're saying, I'm, I'm asking you to get back on the path of freedom. Um, and, and, and that's, I, I think that's probably the most it's just so so powerful, so subversive. Um, just as a, a parting shot, we, we need to understand that following Jesus does not mean, and we've said this before, but I want to say it again, having the faith of Jesus doesn't mean putting on sandals, going around, becoming an itinerant preacher, quitting your job, <laughs> that, that Paul says that we used to know Christ according to the flesh, but now we know him this way no more. We know, he says that he has become a spirit of, of life-giving spirit. Right. And, and the way he's become a life-giving spirit is by dying and rising. And now the life-giving spirit of Christ is that faith, his faith. It is that kernel, that nugget that comes into us. And so now everything done in the faith of the Son is Christ-like, and it will be a unique expression in every person who has that burning in their, in, within them. And, and so you don't have to look exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so stop that. Don't do that. Um, be, be that unique expression of childlike faith in where you are in your circumstances, and um, God will be glorified, and you will be renewed and restored, and it's going to be amazing. All right. Amen. Good talk. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll, you can always email us at discussions at faithrecoverypodcast.com. Discussion. Oh, discussion yeah. at faithrecoverypodcast.com. We would love to continue this discussion with you there. Thank you. Thank you.